Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Covenant. Good to see you all again, and hello to everybody that's uh, still joining us online. I know a lot of you are just uh, physically unable to to be here, and uh, we're glad you're with us, part of our family. I was out last weekend riding my Harley with about 10,000 of my close personal motorcycle enthusiast friends up in Red River and Angel Fire uh, to fundraise for uh, Beds for Kids, the nonprofit that I that I founded. And uh, beautiful people, beautiful country, and uh, thanks for keeping all the uh, wildfire victims in your prayers. I highly recommend visiting the Enchanted Circle for a drive if you're ever looking for a great example of God's creativity and design that's right here close to us. Or you could just look out the window when you leave the, uh, the room here this morning after service. Please join me for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Father, we just pray for every single person involved in this service that you would clear our minds of all of our troubles and concerns and the busyness of the world, the, the noise that, that just rushes in so constantly. Let us give this time to you as our personal sacrifice, our personal worship, Lord, recognizing that this part of our service is just as much worshiping you as is when we sing and play and lift our hands into the air in your name. And we pray this, Jesus, for you and to you. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in the series called The Red Letters, where we focus on things that Jesus said. And uh, this edition, uh, we're focused on uh, Jesus saying, cut it off, cut it out. And uh, as a review, or in case you're new, we believe that all the worries and the troubles and the challenges in our world today were addressed through things that Jesus said while he was on the earth here over 2,000 years ago. And that... The best way to deal with all these problems is to study, understand, and practice the things Jesus taught us, to learn, to love, and to live out his words. So today, we're back into the detailed teaching from Jesus, commonly called Sermon on the Mount, although it was him on a hillside, not a mountain, teaching to a very large crowd of everyday people who'd come from all over the region to see him, some at great cost and amazing distance and sacrifice. Word of his miraculous healings and his wise teachings had spread through the region like wildfire, and many were hoping to be healed from illness and disease and all kinds of problems, and everybody wanted to hear him speak. There was more than a buzz going on. And along with that variety of people, in, in the huge crowd were scattered groups of religious leaders of the day, known as the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, some of the priests from the temple. And most likely, they weren't in the crowd. They were kind of on the fringes, listening, but doing their best to stay separated from the general population. They didn't want to ruin their own reputations by mixing with, socializing, or even touching those they looked down upon as unworthy unclean. Nevertheless, those religious elite 
had a fascination, a mix of emotions about this man known as Jesus of Nazareth. Many had been astounded by his teachings in the synagogue over the years, which he started doing at the age of 12. And his knowledge of the scriptures, even back then as a, as a little boy, was better than any of them. And they had all studied with the best teachers available. And he was just basically a peasant kid, the son of a handyman with no formal education, and they just couldn't fathom such godly wisdom and understanding of their sacred scrolls from such a common kid. Yet they felt a growing vein of jealousy and concern because of the way the people were flocking to hear him teach instead of them. And in addition, there was a lot of embarrassment and frustration that was beginning to boil over into anger and contempt because Jesus was known to openly criticize them and their behaviors. And this came at a time when no one, not even the Roman authorities, spoke poorly in public about these Jewish leaders because of the power and authority that they held over the people through their positions in the religious hierarchy. Our first scripture this morning is Matthew 5, 27, where Jesus said, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now Jesus is making several important points here all at once. And his words were like sharp prongs that were poking into awareness in important areas of life. Yet his words were not meant to hurt us, but to warn us, to keep us from damaging ourselves, from hurting those we love, and from degrading our relationship with the Lord. His message was also pointed in multiple directions, including the religious elite, who felt they were perfectly good and godly, though their minds were filled with all kinds of sin, including a lot of sexual lusting. And here Jesus explains that in God's way of seeing things, even thinking about intimacy with anyone you are not married to is the same thing as actually committing adultery. And that pretty much convicts every single one of us, right? But before you give up and run out the church yelling, it's hopeless, I can never live up to that standard and I'm wasting my time even trying, let's take a look at how we can better understand this. In no way is Jesus saying, certainly not saying that sex or sexual desire is wrong, but scripture makes it clear in multiple places that any intimate activity outside of an exclusive, spiritually blessed and ordained relationship described in scripture as marriage between a man and a woman is sinful. And God created us with a wonderful, powerful, and amazing mind. So he, better than anybody, knows that our brain, as amazing as it is, has some limitations. And for all the things that it can do, one of the things that it can't is completely control or block those thoughts that pop up unexpectedly and uninvited in our mind, as tends to happen pretty much automatically for most of us when we see an attractive person of the opposite sex, right? And on the other side of it, it was him who created us with this natural sex drive. 
And one of the very first things God told us to do was to go out and reproduce ourselves, to be fruitful and multiply. Last time I checked, that usually only happens in one way. So which is it, God? What's going on here? This doesn't seem fair. I mean, just a few weeks back, we went over verses in this same message and learned that to God, us even getting angry enough with someone to call them names or or to, to designate them as a fool was as serious of a sin as actually committing murder. And now, Lord, you're telling me that even thinking about what comes naturally in my mind that you designed is as bad as cheating on my wife? That doesn't seem fair or right. But it's critical for us to understand how all this looks and comes together in God's sight. The word lust generally means being consumed with a very strong sexual desire. And it ties in with words you could call synonyms like crave or covet. And we know from the Ten Commandments that coveting anything that belongs to anyone else is wrong. Their home, their possessions, and certainly the person they're married to. And I apologize. I know this is an uncomfortable subject for a lot of us. And we don't want to hear about these things in church, right? I get it. But the fact is, we are literally deluged with sexual images and temptations every hour of every single day, unless you're just laying there with your head under a pillow. And and unless we're extremely careful about what we allow our eyes to see and our ears to hear, we each get hit with this hundreds, more likely thousands of times every single day without perhaps even realizing it. Advertisers are notorious for using sex appeal. There's, there's one national chain that uses scantily clad women to sell cheeseburgers in commercials that are pretty close to being X-rated, cheeseburgers. And the casinos here do the same thing. I, I mean, I, I don't gamble, but once in a while I have to go through the casinos to get to a, a ballroom where I'm speaking or, or attending an event. And I, I don't know, I don't get it. I, I see thousands of people. I've not seen one that looks like those skimpily dressed women on their commercials. I don't know what the deal is. But it's sex and it sells, right? Cars, vacations, clothes, beverages, soap and shampoo. Using sex to sell has become a standard part of our culture. But that doesn't mean it's right. So my purpose in spending so much time on this this morning is to help all of us understand what is acceptable and right in God's sight and what is not. Because it is possible for us to retrain our brain. And and I want to try and share some tried and true suggestions on how to deal with this for those who struggle or who gave up struggling because they feel like it's helpless to even try to fight it. Because we cannot give up on this battle in our minds or evil wins. We're always being targeted by advertisers, by individuals, and and by the evil one himself, who's really behind all of this. And in today's society, unfortunately, more and more people, both men and women, are choosing to dress provocatively to purposely come across as sexy or desirable, and that adds to the problem for many of us. Now, Scripture tells us that as Christians, we are not to dress in a way that invites the wrong type of attention from the opposite sex, but we still see it happening a lot, and and sadly, even in church at times. 
So how can we best retrain our brain to handle these temptations when others dress in a way that draws our attention? I think first we have to recognize that it's not a sin to feel temptation. We know Jesus himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and again at other times. And it's how we deal with that temptation and what we do to deflect it that matters to our Lord. It's also not a sin to admire the beauty of any one of God's creations. Recognizing the attractiveness or desirability of another human is not any more wrong than enjoying the view of the mountains and the valleys and the lakes up in the enchanted circle until we allow ourselves to be go, uh, go beyond that brief point in time. And if we do, then is when it becomes a sin. When we allow ourselves to think for a period of time on when and how and what we want to do with that person, then we are literally diving headfirst into polluted and dangerous rushing waters of sinful behavior that threaten to sweep us away. Having a thought pop into our heads is not wrong. Thinking about it long and hard is where it germinates and sprouts. I've heard it described as allowing the thoughts to marinate in our brain. We soak them up. Thoughts create more thoughts, which can kick off a chain reaction that all too often leads us into all sorts of incredibly dangerous and damaging activity. We know for a fact that most often adultery starts with just a thought about someone we're physically attracted to that we allow to linger in our mind because what we think about the most becomes stronger. It's a known fact that almost everything we do in our life starts with our thoughts. Thoughts that we nurture and feed repeatedly turn into actions. And actions repeated over and over become habits. And habits are key in developing our character. And our character, more than anything else, determines our destination, both in this life and eternally. And if you, like me, desire an eternal destination with Jesus more than anything else, this is something we all need to get straight right away, starting today. What we feed grows. And that's why we put so much emphasis on learning and memorizing Scripture. It feeds our soul. It guides our life step by step like a light on our path. And knowing the Word of God is exactly how Jesus dealt with his temptations. Every temptation he was offered was turned down with Scripture that Jesus had memorized. And if you're not familiar with those passages in the Bible or, or would like to review them as an example, you'll find them in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. The same thing works like a charm for us. I know this from personal experience. For over 30 years, I've carried a copy of a laminated card that contains scriptures about dealing with temptation in my wallet. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. It has literally saved me and protected me from stupid things that I knew better of, but was sincerely tempted to do hundreds of times. Look up that scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. 
Memorize it and put it to work the next time you're tempted about anything that you know is wrong. I don't have time to read it today because we have a lot to cover, but please do yourself a favor and read this. And hopefully in the future, we'll have the opportunity to devote at least one entire message to the best ways of fighting back against the lure of temptation. Today, the message is focused on some seemingly harsh words that Jesus said like the verse we just read. Let's repeat it. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want to quote what Dallas Willard wrote in Divine Conspiracy, a great book on the Sermon in the Mount that I've, I've really been loving over the past three or four months. Jesus simply says that anyone who looks upon a woman for the purpose of lusting with her or I personally add ladies lusting towards men, using their visual presence as a means of savoring the fantasized act, has thereby committed adultery in their heart. In other words, all the elements of genuine active adultery other than the overt movements of the body are present. The heart elements are there. The only thing lacking is the opportunity. Just as the thief would steal if circumstances were right, the adulterer would have wrongful relationships if the circumstances allowed. Usually that means being sure it would not be discovered by others. Jesus labels this adultery in the heart. End quote. So the condition is wrong even if the physical relationship does not happen. Jesus saying this especially upset the religious leaders that day because they had completely focused only on not committing the act of adultery. Because they hadn't done anything physically, they felt they were home free, clean spiritually. Jesus showed that nothing could be further from the truth. Their minds were filled with filth. And the next thing Jesus said stunned everyone. This is in verse 27. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus wanted to shock them. He used hyperbole, an exaggerated example, to show the importance of stopping this sinful behavior that is so common. Yet he, better than anybody, knows that even cutting out our eye wouldn't necessarily keep us from fantasizing about a wrong relationship. We could still lust with one eye just as fine or, or fantasize about it in our mind even with if we gouged out both our eyes. And, and the only way to change our behaviors is to completely transform our naturally sinful heart. And that only happens when we surrender our will to Jesus and ask Him to forgive us and allow his Holy Spirit to change us, to give us a fresh start with a clean and forgiven heart. It's called repenting, and it means recognizing and admitting our sinful actions and thoughts, and then turning away from that sin and asking Jesus to show us his new way of starting all over again. And we can each begin at this very moment. Confess your sinful thoughts to the Lord and ask him, to not just forgive you, but to change you and to show you how to live a life that is completely pleasing and obedient to Jesus, both outwardly in the way that we seem to the world and inside our hearts, the way we're seen by our Creator. 
Now, Jesus wasn't done with that gruesome-sounding theme yet. In verse 30, he said, And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, again, Jesus uses an extreme example to make his point. We must take strong steps to separate ourselves from whatever or whoever causes us to sin. And while he was focused on the sin of wrong thoughts of a sexual nature, his words obviously apply to every single one of our other numerous sinful behaviors. And I would suggest that depending on your personal habits or practices, this might mean going home and throwing away all your alcohol or tossing those prescription medicine bottles that you've been using wrongly in the trash, blocking the number of your drug dealer or, or the person you're having the affair with or, or, or flirting about one with. Friends who only lure us into trouble are not really friends at all. Cut them off. Or how about cutting off the porn sites from your phone, installing apps to block them, or unsubscribing from channels that cause you problems with sin on your TV service. You may even need to avoid or cut off the practice of driving through certain areas or past businesses that send your thought process into places you know you shouldn't go. You get the idea? I know because I had to go through almost everything on that list and several more many years back in my early years of my fresh new walk with Jesus when I was just starting to learn the importance of cutting off the causes of my habitually sinful behaviors. Sadly, I know a lot about those things and how many of them relax our inhibitions against doing other things that we know are wrong and lead us into sin. For many, many years, I had a horrible issue with sexual lusting. I was raised in the church, and I knew it was wrong, but from my teenage years into my early 30s, it grew to completely control my life, and it came with very negative, hurtful consequences, both to myself and to those I loved. To this day, there's a strip club right down the interstate, off of 25, that has a changeable billboard out in front advertising that week's performers or events. And as a new believer, I caught myself being led into terribly lustful thoughts by simply reading it. And then I realized that even looking at it sent my mind swirling into memories and ideas that I did not want to revisit. And God gave me a simple solution. Look the other way, dummy. And I did, and it worked. I, I, I started turning my head the opposite direction out to the West Mesa where I could see then before the buildings came up, the volcanoes and the sunset and the beautiful vista that God gave us. And that led me to immediately praise the Lord for his natural beauty and for protecting me from sinful behavior. And it's over 30 years later and I still look the other way. Every time I drive by, why would I change now? My shameful habits and behaviors went on so long and became so deep that it was almost automatic to lust after nearly every woman I saw. It felt normal until I came to really know Jesus. And once I realized it was wrong, I knew I had to stop, but I felt 
overpowered, outgunned, out of control. And then someone at a Bible study said something simply powerful to me, and I'll never forget it. As I was explaining my lack of ability to change that behavior, he said, Steve, that woman you're lusting after is someone's daughter. She's someone's little girl. And you can't forget she is a child of God. And that stunned me, just cut me to the heart. It gave me a whole new way of looking at it. It helped me cut it out without ruining my, my eyesight for life. And when I see a beautiful woman today, as soon as I recognize my natural attraction to her, I, I normally begin to pray. Something like, oh Lord, she's such a, a wonderful example of your creation. Please protect her and Keep her safe from those who are like I used to be. And I, I pray that she's loved by someone who values her greatly and that she knows you as Lord and Savior or will very soon, Lord. Amen. And I have to say, it's a lot harder to lust about someone right after you've just prayed to Jesus for them. <laughs> and, and now that I'm the father of three extremely beautiful young daughters, Looking at females through the lens of Jesus is extremely powerful and helpful for me. And I suggest it to you too. That simple piece of advice from a godly friend has changed my thought process immensely. It's not picture perfect. I'm still a work in progress. Rose and I tried to go out two-stepping last night and there was a moment when she said, I hope you got a good look because you're going to pay a big price for that. Boy, I was so busted. I, yeah, I was just thinking, I can't believe she's out in public wearing that, you know. Uh, so today's scriptures all speak very deeply to me. I completely allowed my sinful nature to take over and rule my life for about 20 years, and I'm ashamed and embarrassed about it today. But I mention these personal past issues to help all of us understand that no matter how deeply ingrained our habits may be today, trusting in Jesus can and will wash them all away. I know that I've been forgiven. I'll always realize I don't deserve to be. And I'm so incredibly thankful to Jesus for accepting a horrible sinner like me into his personal family. Now, hopefully you've never fallen into those awful things, but, but I'm sure it's something else because we're all sinful. Maybe it's pettiness, a critical nature, unforgiveness, envy, selfishness, Pride is huge in all of us. Cut it off now, please. And trust me, whether it's cutting out a habit or cutting off someone or something, it's rarely easy, but I promise it's worth it. The next thing Jesus points out that a lot of us tend to brush over lightly cannot be ignored. You don't often hear hell mentioned in church these days, and that's a very dangerous, unfortunate trend. When God himself says an eternity in hell is a real possibility, I think we ought to start paying attention. Jesus said, hell is a clear and present danger to anyone not willing to recognize the cause of their sin and cut it off. Now, there have been groups throughout the centuries that have tried to hide themselves away from society. They move away into the wilderness in small groups to prevent sexual temptation from even happening. The thinking was, if I never see a man, if I never see a woman, I'll never lust after them. 
human logic that is highly illogical. Others have physically mutilated themselves, supposing that would stop their sinful desires. A painful, useless mistake. Truth? We could cut off both our arms and both our legs and poke out both our eyes, but still be filled with anger and contempt and obsessive lust. Because if we don't have the kingdom heart Jesus desires, we will never be able to attain the holiness and wholesomeness that God requires. We'll be in danger of never coming close to the goodness that Jesus offers to flood our hearts with. We're missing out on such a great offering and gift. And only from that goodness will the acts of love and purity and respect that characterize sexuality as God intends it to be become reality. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, worth the effort it takes to develop. Next, in Matthew 5, 31, Jesus said, You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Fact is, God hates divorce. A marriage is when a man and a woman go from two separate beings, each created in the image of God, into becoming one in God's eyes. And tearing that apart cannot happen without permanent damage to both. And it's not something he takes lightly. Yet the religious leaders of that day had perverted God's word and twisted his intent into something that made destroying the sacred bond of marriage easy. No more than a simple legal matter. A husband could issue a certificate of divorce for any reason. A burned dinner, an angry argument, the societal shame of his wife not being able to conceive was enough for a man to divorce his wife. Now, technically, that allowed both of them to remarry, but in that time, it almost always meant certain poverty and being ostracized by the woman. She had to find relatives to live with or wealthy people to work for as a lowly paid servant, more like a slave, really. And shockingly, many, if not most, divorced women in that day were forced into prostitution in order to survive. Jesus saw the perversion of this and made it clear that divorce for any reason other than adultery, that word is often uh, translated uncleanness, which can mean some other things, was unacceptable. And in many ways, divorce today is an even bigger problem. No-fault divorce was a term that came into our language when? In the 60s or 70s? Nobody has to be to blame. Let's just split up and start over again. And as pastors, divorce within the church is extremely difficult for us. To be faithful to Jesus, we have to begin with the idea, the goal of reconciling the couple in any way possible. And it's usually very doable. But there are a lot of people who don't want to hear that by the time they even mention it to us. They've already decided it's going to happen no matter what, regardless of what we say, in spite of what Scripture teaches. And this is hurtful to us, but more importantly, it grieves God's Holy Spirit. You see, we forget that while marriage is two people becoming one, God himself is the third person deeply entwined in that relationship. So when we facilitate a divorce, we're not just separating the two creations who've become one, but we're tearing ourselves apart from the one who created us both. Jesus clearly says the only acceptable reason 
is uncleanness, adultery, unfaithfulness to our spouse. So yes, in scriptures about lust that we've just gone over, being addicted to pornography qualifies as adultery. And many spouses are stunned to learn that their marriage partner takes great offense at them seeking satisfaction through books or videos of other people. It's cheating and it's wrong on so many levels. And just a quick note, unfaithfulness in marriage does not require the other spouse to have to get a divorce we're always to seek good godly counsel to see if there's a way to heal and repair the relationship to look for a way to bring the couple back into a partnership of love mutual respect trust and exclusivity and i'm close friends with several couples who've done this successfully it can be extremely painful and it requires time and concentration and dedication but they would each tell you it's very much worth the effort one more side note in saying marriage could not be easily annulled jesus was totally sticking up for the women back then we believe he would do the same today meaning there could be other behaviors or events that would make a divorce allowable like physical or sexual abuse of the spouse or the children or fear for their lives another embarrassing fact i am a divorced man i was married for only about five or six years to the mother of my son and we divorced when he was barely three years old and that was long before I was a Christian, but the fact that it happened and it was mostly my fault still bothers me deeply. And my son is 38 now, and I have a wonderful relationship. He was with me at least half the time or more when we were growing up, and he's matured into a terrifically strong man of God, a great husband and father and a leader in his church, but it still bothers him deeply that his parents were divorced, and I can't blame him. And that, that hurts me. And I've been blessed to have now been married to my wife Rose for 29 years and there have been stretches of time when we've been extremely angry with each other both of us have been hurt and dissatisfied and wondered if this is going to work or if we should even try but our dedication to honoring and obeying the Lord is the extra glue we need to stick together in the difficult times and I know many of you recognize the same thing and I can say unequivocally that we're both so happy and blessed that we were determined to work our way through the troubles that come with any marriage. And, and the relationship we have today would have never been realized had we not been committed to work through the hard times. I was so far off base during my younger years, all the way through my first marriage and beyond. I actually believed it was physically impossible for any man to be faithful to just one woman. I was horrible. I would describe myself back then as a dog, but that would be a terrible insult to all my wonderful four-legged friends. And, it, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry because it's really, you know, nothing to joke about. At least my dogs have all been very loyal, and, and, and I never was until Jesus started changing my heart. And it's exactly these common, everyday human issues that Jesus speaks to us here. The lust in our hearts leads to thoughts and then actions that take us deeper and deeper into sinful behaviors. First it's adultery, and then it's divorce because we become unsatisfied with the one we're married to. Wonderful human beings created in the image of God become nothing more than disposable objects to be used and discarded. And you know, a lot of people think, well, as long as I'm married, Again, and again, and again, it's okay. Serial monogamy is no better. I know so many people who've been married three, four, five times still aren't satisfied with their mate. But it can change. I, I have a good friend here at New Covenant who was like that and then came into a serious relationship with Jesus and now 
That is all changed for him. And it's no accident Jesus taught about lust and then divorce and then about the importance of our vows to the Lord because they all tie in together in God's eyes. Matthew 5, 33, you've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, because you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. I bet every single one of us in this room has tried to emphasize our sincerity in making a promise by saying something like, I swear to God, or I swear on a stack of Bibles. We have to be careful because this scripture tells us that can actually be profaning God's holy name. Jesus knows that our sacred vows are important, but he also knows our strong tendency to break them, so he says it's better to not even make them. We need to be much more aware of how often we make promises carelessly, especially when the name of God is involved. And Jesus is saying, we have to strive to be people of our word. Years later, his half-brother James echoed this when he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The rest of the world should be able to see they can trust us in all that we say. In other words, we need to pause and think before we speak. God does not make promises lightly, and neither can we. The vows we say on our wedding day are designed to be honored until our last breath in our words in our actions, and even in our thoughts. And I promise we will fail many, many times along the way. But the key is to recognize our error and then to make it right both with our spouse and in God's sight. He's not setting these things in the Sermon on the Mount as absolutes, as laws, as you break this once and you'll never come into heaven. He's setting these as goals that as he works in our lives, as he changes us and cleanses us on the way to perfecting us that make him more like us. His Holy Spirit is ready to show us how to make the changes in our lives that will not only make us more useful for his kingdom today on this earth, but also prepare us for an even more rewarding future in eternity. And he'll give you the guidance and the guts to help you make the necessary cuts. I want to talk about some important family business for a couple of minutes. Um, I ask everybody to pray for Dr. Annette. We had a memorial service for her son, Andrew, yesterday, only 38 years old. He disappeared for six years, no word. Nobody knew where he was, and they found him, and he, he had taken his own life. Dr. Annette has done so much for so many of us in this community in the five or six years she's been here. And I just ask that you think of her and your prayers and return the love. Also for the Haydens, Tracy and Kyle, Haley and Brody, they lost their son, Tyler, just recently. Um... Also for the Blousers, Jeff and Sherry have been a big part of our family for many years. They messaged me this morning. They were planning to be here this morning to say goodbye as they're moving across country to be with their, their, their brand new grandchild. And their girls are, are going to go with them, but they had a flight change and an emergency. And 
weren't able to make it. And uh, just keep them in your thoughts and prayers as they begin this new stage of, of their life. Um, had a real interesting experience. I think it was Wednesday night. I got an emergency call about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I guess. And um, a career Air Force veteran, a decorated combat pilot, a retired major, was leaving the VA hospital for treatment, and he was hit and was in ICU trauma unit on life support. He was widowed. His children were in Colorado and rushing down, and they didn't want him to be alone, and they needed somebody to go sit with him. So I spent about five hours in the room with um, this retired major, and uh, it was an awesome experience. It was wonderful and horrible the way that God's things often work. He was unconscious, but I talked with him, I prayed for him, I read him scriptures, and, and was able to stay until his, parent, uh, his uh, children got there about midnight. And come to find out, the way it happened, this man who had flown innumerable combat missions and survived was hit in the VA parking lot by a golf cart. And it knocked him down and he hit his head and he didn't recover. They had to remove him from life support the next day. But it just shows us the fragility, the uncertainty of this life. It's so beautiful and it's so wonderful, but it can be so brief and so unexpected. So look around at those that we have here, our family at New Covenant, love on each other, call somebody that you haven't talked to, reach out to that estranged family member that hasn't been willing to to participate, write a note, send a text, shoot up a prayer. Make the most of every moment that we have while we have it. I'm heading to Florida for a couple weeks. I've got my uh, pink flamingo shirt and my, my shark socks on here. Uh, I'm ready for a vacation, but we've got some great, great special guests coming in, including our founding pastor, Rick Donahoe, who's going to be here on, on Father's Day. Mark Fortney, who was key in getting this building built after Pastor Rick helped raise the money. He's going to come and teach. Matt is going to be back to fill in, and we want you here with anybody and everybody that you can invite to come and be part of this family as we rebuild and regrow and look forward to the new future, a future that God has for us. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all the opportunities that you give us. Thank you for pointing out our mistakes, Lord, not as a condemner, but as a coach, as a loving father, as someone who wants us to be like you, to be with you. Lord, forgive us and help us to, to recognize our shortfalls, our shortcomings. Don't allow us to take our sins lightly, Lord. Help us to cut off, to cut out the things that you don't want to be part of our lives any longer. Help us to recognize all the benefit that there will be in being closer to you. We love you and we praise you and we look forward to all this day will bring. Help us to be attentive to the opportunities to be available and to be obedient. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's stand up and close this up.
This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.